0: Welcome back everyone. This is the Ohio Valley Athletics Podcast. This is episode number six. And to kick this podcast off, I want to thank Ohio Valley Nutrition for sponsoring this episode. They're based out of St. Clairsville. And I'll tell you what, it's been a, a tough year for small businesses and they failed it too. Uh, for, For everyone out there, if you're looking to supplement your health, if you have kids or if you're a student athlete on here and you're looking to supplement your nutrition, go take a look at these folks out in St. Clairsville. Not only do they sell all of the supplements that you get online or GNC or from any of those big companies, they have all of those, but they're also able to give you advice. If you tell them what your goals are, what you're trying to accomplish, they can help you get the right supplements to fit your needs. So today we've got a we've got a fun guest on this episode. I've known this guy for for a while uh, before he knew me and knowing that I was going to have him on. I went through and I was looking back on some of these numbers. It's pretty crazy. So we've got Jose Davis on today or Coach Davis, depending on when you've met him in his career. Uh, Second runner up for the Ohio Mr. Football Award in in, in 1995. He finished second to Andy Katzemore. He was pretty good at football, too. He threw his senior year for 3,551 yards and 32 touchdowns. That was just his senior year. If he was in the NFL that year, he would have finished third in touchdowns behind Brett Favre and Horn Moon. That's pretty good. Now, for all the listeners out there, if you go back to 1995, 32 touchdowns and 3,500 yards might not sound like a huge deal in today's game. In 1995, most teams were still running uh, a, a very heavy run offense. And in the college and high school game, uh, most teams were running an option offense. So it was remarkable what he's able to do. He went on to Kent State and, and had a heck of a career. When he left there, he owned every passing record or virtually every passing record they had. And he still owns a lot of those records today. Uh, single season yardage, 2,707 yards, still is the career holder in touchdown passes at 57 TDs. And he still holds the record at Kent State for yards in a single game, 551 yards against Central Florida as a three year starter in high school. He was 30 and five Jose. That was pretty dang good as I go through these, you know, and it's it's fun to have you on here because you are for being such a big name and having a lot of success, you're a pretty private guy. You don't really brag about yourself a lot. You don't put yourself out there. How's it feel to hear those numbers and think back on your career and all the success you've had?
1: Uh, You know, it's I think when you look at it, you know, when you talk about records, obviously they're meant to be broken. Um, You know, I know that when I went back and um, I was fortunate enough to at one point to have the the record in the valley for a long time until my brother broke it. So, you know, that was important for us as a family. Um, and then obviously, you know, that's been long ago and it, it's been broken, but, you know, um, those are the experiences I try to pass along to, uh, obviously my sons, um, and, and have them be a part of that as well. And then, you know, there's some guys that I train now that, um, uh, that helps me a little bit, have a little bit more, um, Swagger to those guys that, you know, I, you know, that I do have a background in that and, you know, now obviously the game has changed so I've had to evolve my thought process in, and, um, and what I dealt with as a player and then as a coach and then now is, you know, trying to teach these guys some of the nuances that go along with today's game.
0: Coach, you know I think of you now I call you coach. Um, uh-huh. One of my first memories of watching a football, a high school football game, and this is true. One of my first memories of ever watching a high school football game was, was your Belair team in the early nineties on uh, the WTO V nine. They had that grainy footage, you know, back then. <laughs> yes. And, and it was one of my first memories and you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm probably in seventh or eighth grade at St. Clairsville. We're part of that uh, running. We were still running an option offense, And it's funny, the things that stick out in your head, um, the things you remember. I remember watching you guys on TV and I'm thinking, wow, these guys throw the ball like it's an NFL football game. I've never seen anything like that. And I'm willing to bet a lot of people in the Ohio Valley haven't seen anything like that. Going back to what I said before, 1995, nobody was doing that. Did you guys realize or did you realize specifically that you guys were doing something that was just incredibly innovative at the time?
1: Well, it's just crazy to watch the progression that we had as an offense. And, you know, and obviously Coach Magistro is is the head guy and and Mark Boner is offensive coordinator. You know, the progression that we had uh, with the advancements. And I think that that's really uh, the big reason that we had such a great run back then because we were doing things, as you just said, that nobody was able to understand. And now take it, for instance, like we were in an I formation, fullback, tailback, tight end, two receivers. So when you looked at us, when we came up and lined up, you know, we were your basic, you know, I formation pro style team, but we were sending five receivers out every pass play, which nowadays is considered spread. You know what I mean? So we were running a spread when spread wasn't even existed at that point in time. So, you know, give credit to um, to our coaches for adapting and evolving to our personnel and using that to our advantage. Um, in which, you know, I obviously I was a beneficiary of that, um, you know, and just having the guys around to, to be able to, to catch. But, you know, we were way ahead of our time, but, you know, had no idea, you know, of that um, at that point in time.
2: Jose, I, I wonder, I'm curious, actually, you know, as you're getting to do that, you're still a young guy, you're a kid. Do, do you realize at the time, though, did it add pressure to you or was it a good feeling? that those coaches had uh, the confidence in you to install that type of offense as a quarterback? Because, you know, I'm sure you were friends with a lot of people and
1: other quarterbacks weren't getting to do
2: and getting the chance to do what you were doing.
1: Well, I mean, for sure, you know, it it was exciting to know that because, you know, at that point in time, I can remember going in, um, when we had defensive days, quarterbacks didn't go out for defensive practices, we stayed in a study film. Um, so for us at that point in time, if I look back, and I think correctly, Charlie Ward was at Florida State at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So for us, that was a big film that we watched. So at that point in time, we're watching Charlie, Charlie Ward film and I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, you know, I'm kind of doing similar things than what he is, but we're not in a shotgun and doing some things like that. But, um, but for us to look at it that way, I mean, yeah, you know, and I could tell you right now, our, our best run play was a draw play. It was just Georgia draw. So we dropped back and passed so much that Georgia draw was our best run play. Um, but that's also why, you know, I even fast forward a little bit to my coaching career. Like I look back and we had so many guys that were involved on offense, you know, receivers, like four, five, six guys, seven, eight guys who were catching the ball daily. So, you know, who doesn't want to be involved in that? So when it comes to quarterbacking, you know, I wasn't socializing with a lot of local quarterbacks, but from a team standpoint, we were all gelling because everybody had their hand in on the game. Like it wasn't a tailback who was, you know, getting 35, 40 carries a game. And everybody else was just down for blockers. Everybody was involved in the game.
0: Coach, you just took me down memory lane when you said Georgia draw. So when I go into high school, St. Clairsville gets a new football coach, Mark Boner. And uh, Coach Coach Boner comes to the program. And you you want to talk about buzz in St. Clairsville. Um, Sean and I on a different podcast, um, I had talked about how at St. Clairsville, we just had a losing culture. We didn't expect to win. And, you know, Coach Boner, um, I don't think he got to finish what he what he wanted to do, but he he tried to reset that culture where everything we do, we're going to expect to win. We're going to expect to be tough. We're going to expect to be competitive. And, uh, you know, a lot of people felt like we were getting the mastermind of the Blair yeah. offense. That, yes. that was kind of what he was labeled as. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts there. You said John Magistro, obviously highly successful. A lot of yes. for some people that don't know he when he left Belair he went on to coach in Columbus and continued to be successful. But when you think back, if you had to pick one, who do you attribute your success to? John Magistro, um, Boner?
1: You know, from a from a you know a moving on standpoint, um, you know, obviously, you know, I my dealings was was 100 percent with Coach Boner. So You know, the respect that I had for Coach Magistro and the things that he did for me as a head coach and um, the recruiting aspect of it, you know, everything that I needed of him. He was there for me and helping me any way possible. But obviously for me, you know, I'm going to be a lot closer with Coach Mark just because he was my quarterback coach. He was my offensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, I mean, I I don't know that if it's just crazy because if I'm if I'm at St. Clair'sville and Matt King is at Bel Air who's to say, you know, that Coach Young doesn't have me lining up trying to run a triple option, right? Yeah, you yeah. know, because it's crazy because, you know, that's where it could have been. You know, Sean talked about earlier about other quarterbacks in the area. Like, I can't say that I would have been at Martin's Ferry playing for Coach Bruni that I would have been lined up in the same thing, a wishbone, right? So, yeah. again, you know, how much credit does Coach Mark and Coach, you know, and obviously it starts with Coach Mark. But Coach Mark has to go to Coach Magistro and be like, hey, you know, we have these guys. We have a guy that can sling the ball around. So, you know, what do you think about this? So it's a collective group thing, you know, when you talk about a staff. But when it comes to X's and O's and drawing stuff up and having you understand on what you're trying to accomplish, I mean, Coach Mark is, you know, he's number one in that book. And there's not too many, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a 1A and then everybody else is, you know, two, three, four, five, six, because, you know, he's that guy.
0: I remember when he came to St. Clairsville, you know, he's installing the playbook. And I mean, this just shows how ignorant I was to to football play calling or football playbooks. You know, our playbook was really simple. We are an option team. We probably had 20 total plays. And, you know, so when, when we heard the word option, you're thinking run. That's it. it blew my mind when I realized that option in, in that game means completely different. You have a Y option and an X option where the receiver yeah, has yeah, the choice yeah, to run three different routes. And uh, I don't even know if some of our listeners even realize that today. Yes. Sometimes they might call it a choice route.
1: Yes. And
0: it, the, the concept there is the defense can never be right. If, 100%. if you run the right option and the quarterback takes the right pre-snap read, the defense will always be wrong. It's a genius offense.
1: You know, it's just crazy the way that it went because you know, um, you know, if it was just fifty-six option, right? You can remember that as I'm throwing these numbers out to you, right? You had yeah. a big, you had a post, and then you had that tailback on the option with the fullback flaring. And I know you were a tailback, so you were that option route, right? So yeah. you know, you could come up to the line, you either go out, you go in, or you run that corner route. You know what I mean? So you know, those are the things that you know he was so innovative at that point. I mean, you're th- nineteen ninety-five, and it's crazy because I go from, and this is what I always tell people, and you know, I was sitting down with some some younger players, uh, you know, about two weeks ago. And, you know, I look back and I threw for 1700 yards as a sophomore. And at that point in time, I'm like that's a load of yards. You know what I mean? I, that's, that's <laughs> a lot. I mean, you're getting a lot of publicity for that. You know, I ended up winning sophomore of the year, throwing for 1700 yards and I'm feeling myself. Then the next year I come back and I throw for like 1500. I'm like, man, I let myself down. I didn't throw for a lot of yards, but then my senior year, like I, you know, I throw for one year that I did in two years, because of our advancement of, you know, of throwing the ball out of the same formations. I mean, because, you know, as a sophomore and junior, we were still I formation. We weren't running three receiver sets or anything like that. It was the same exact thing. It's just, you know, we advanced our X's and O's and taking advantage of different things.
0: Blair and fairy rivalry, something obviously me and Sean didn't get the play in. Um, but we could argue there's not a greater rivalry, uh, in the Ohio Valley and and maybe some folks in Blair and Ferry would say in the whole state of Ohio. Talk to us about that. What's that like coming from in the locker room as a player, you got to coach it, you got to play it. What's that rivalry like?
1: It's, it's crazy just because of the community involvement of bringing something together as a community. And, and that's it, you know, now I think that in my opinion it's it's lost a lot of that lackluster that it had in the past and with everybody getting into the playoffs it's changed that right because you know that used to just be it right i mean you know whether you were 4 and 6 or 6 and 4 or 9 and 1 and or 10 and 0 like you know, when only four teams are getting in from each region, like that 90% of the time, that was it for you. So that game meant so much because that was the end of the year. That's before you, you packed everything up and you got ready for basketball. So, um, but you know, the sense of community pride and everything that leads on to that week of, you know, pajama day, red and black day, purple and white day. And, you know, it, it was almost like, um, education took a standstill for five days because that was that, right? You had the pep rally. You had, um, I can remember for us, Chris Arno coming out of the bleachers um, from a rope from the top of our auditorium for our pep rally. And then going down to the bonfire, like, you know, just that excitement of like not being able to sleep the night before, because you're leaving that pep rally, that bonfire, just all the emotions and, um, and the crowd that was there. And that's always, you know, why I always talk because you know I get my resource officer at work just asked about lights at Nelson Field. And I'm like, you know, there's nothing better than playing at Nelson Field on Saturday afternoon because you know you're the only show in town. You know what I mean? Like around the entire area. Like, and especially when your product is really good. Everybody is coming to watch you. Um so, you know, the crowds and as you just said, like, you know, that rivalry. you're not even from Bel Air, you're not from But ferry. Right. So if you're not playing that day, you're there because that's just what you know. So, um, you know, it, just having the opportunity to play in that game is just, you know, and I went two and one in it, obviously, um, you know, but those are days that I'll never look back on. And, you know, I didn't fare so well as a coach in that. Um, but again, you know, those are, those are living and, and learning lessons that you, that you fight through. And, you um, and as I said, you know, it, you know, there was one time and, you know, God rest his heart, you know, Mr. Gibson, Rich Gibson, they beat us one year and, you know, and I had said like, man, you know, I don't know if we'll ever beat them again, you know, in this rivalry. And we were able to kind of capture that pride that we talked about, you know, with coach Mark trying to get you guys, we were kind of, you know, able to get over that hump and make the, you know, serious competitive again.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting when you're, I'm thinking back now, I'm really going down memory lane. And and as you're talking about this, just when you said playing on a Saturday at Belair, it it literally gave me goosebumps because it it does, it feels different. And I'm going down memory lane because coach, coach Boner tried really hard again to take us out of that losing mentality and the winners. And there's just, it's such a different mindset, right? Like there's a different mindset between. There's teams right now in the Ohio Valley. There's teams right now that are talking about winning a state championship, yes. and, and they're saying it with intention to do it. In the Steubenville locker room, they're talking about winning a state championship this year. In the Wheeling Central locker room and the Wheeling Park locker room, they're talking about winning a state championship this year, and it's not—it's not a wish list. It's a goal. And yes. then you've got other teams that are saying it would be a great season if we could beat a rival. And then you've got other, other teams that are saying, man, if, if we could win half our games, like that's a step in the right direction. And it's just amazing at how, how there's different standards, right? Yep. Yep. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. When I was at St. Clairsville, it was, I say joke. It wasn't really a joke, but we would always beat Belair all through junior high. I mean, demolish them and everybody's like oh it doesn't matter because by the time they get to high school like they put it together right yeah what, what was it about the belair at least when we were a little bit younger because i know it's a, the circumstances are a little different today what was it about belair uh, where maybe the feeder system the junior high system that 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 call how was that culture developed to where they weren't real successful young, but when you guys got to high school, it was like glue that just became so strong. How did it change so quick? As compared to St. Clair's, well, I feel like we would always win and do really well in those younger years. And by the time we got to high school, we were a mess.
1: <laughs> well, so, so now we bring in Coach Magistro. He ran the weight room. He was in charge of making sure you were in there working hard on the weight room and running our plyometric stuff for speed and agility. That was the difference. So now we talk about coming in and you talked about being a motivator, somebody you're going to run through a wall for, different things like that. So now you see that's kind of how it worked, right? So in junior high, you know, you're kind of running your system. It's pretty base. Um, But now as you get into high school, you know, we were implementing weightlifting, you know, classes during school. So maybe first, seventh and eighth period, Coach Magistro is running those things. So at that point in time, it's bigger, faster, stronger we're implementing all those different things. So that's where you see, now we talk about the implementation of the staff. Where does Coach Magistro come in at? This is where he comes in at. This is where he is the best at in being the guy to run the weight room.
0: You were pretty good as a player, really good. But then you go on and, and you coach and you're pretty good at that too. You you go to your alma mater, Belair, uh, where you go to the playoffs, two years in a row. And, uh, and then you exit Blair and you go to, you go to Blair St. John's where yep. um, over the course of three years, they had won four games and in your first year there, you win five, yes. uh, which considering what they had did in the, in the three years prior, you, you, you're, you're going in the right direction. Uh, yep. you're, you're coach of the 2014 OVAC all-star game uh, where you get Ohio, the victory. Am I right on that? Make sure I'm not wrong.
1: You are. You Thank are. You.
0: Uh, so, you know, a lot of times you don't see that translate a lot, a lot of times it's just because you're a good player certainly doesn't make you a great coach. And then some of our best coaches didn't even play the game. Right. How did that translate for you? You know, you, you, you played the game. You're at a very, very high level. You actually sat out for a while, kind of, I say on the sidelines, um, but you were removed from the game for a while. And then, and then you yeah. jump in and you, and your, your assistant coach for a little bit, you're a head coach. Talk to us about that.
1: Well, i think it's more um i had to grind more as a coach than i did an actual player um and just the learning process um learning that every kid is different you know uh, i went in my first year with the thought process that i wanted to try to revert back to 95 and 96 and do some of the things that we ran um uh, but then had to learn that, you know what's a different type of kid now like you know, the, the hard part of being able to drop back from under center and do a five-step drop that we used to do back in the day. Kids have a little harder time to do that. So it was, a you know, going one and nine that first year for me as a head coach was probably the best thing that ever happened to me as a coach, because again, you got to go through so many negative things to really learn and grow. And at that point in time, you know, I had some veteran coaches on my staff that had been around um, and I tried to pick their brains on things of, of kids and, and things like that and trust what they said. But then I learned that, you know, I have to do a lot of this on my own and figure this thing out and figure out how we're going to succeed in these different things. And, and I figured that if I grind, then it's going to rub off on the kids because now they're going to grind. And we went from one and nine to six and four, you know, such a huge turnaround from year one to year two. And again, but still learning, you know, I tell, I tell my boys every day about, you know, you should always be learning every day. And I, it's 43 years old. Like I'm learning, like, you know, I'm trying to watch videos that these kids that I'm working with that I'm trying to learn, to learn that way as well. And I think that if, you know, if you're not learning and evolving, then you're not helping yourself and you're not helping, you know, the guys that you're trying to to teach and different things like that. So, um, and then learning in the weight room, I, I hated the weight room growing up. Hated it. Absolutely hated it. You know, I used to, I used to hide in the corner, and Coach Mendoza used to yank me out of the corner, and he'd always try to revert to basketball. Like this, you know, lifting's going to help you in basketball, and I'm like, it's going to mess up my shot. I'm not trying to lift no weights, you know. But you know, those are things that I had to adjust, um, you know, in learning as a head coach, and you know, in getting that stuff.
2: You mentioned about having to work harder as as a coach than you did as as a player. People don't realize, I, I don't think, you know. You being a coach isn't your twenty four seven job. You've got your regular job that pays the bills. You've got at that time when you first started a young family at home that you you have to find time for. How
1: difficult was that at the beginning
2: to kind of you know find
1: time for both things? Um, you know, when I again when I first started, um, we did the traditional Sunday meetings you know, and, and met for three hours and you know, really got nothing accomplished. So, you know, that was the things that you know that we had to balance out because my my oldest son at that point in time is playing pee wee football. So I'm missing his Pee Wee football games because we have Sunday meetings scheduled. So the next year I'm like, we're cutting the meetings out. And as adults and as you know family men, we all have to find the time that best suits us to get our jobs done. And If it's at 10 o'clock at night and I can watch an hour of film, an hour, hour and a half film from 10 to 1130 while the kids lay down and go to sleep because they got school the next day, then that's what us as adults have to get figured out. So that was, again, a balancing act that I had to figure out as I was going along. And everybody's different because everybody's families are different at that point in time. So pinpointing a Saturday afternoon or a Saturday morning and a a Sunday morning to meet for three and four hours, you know, again, I had to learn on the fly because, again, I use OK, well, this is what they've always done in the past, and this is what we're going to try to do. And I'm like, this isn't gaining us anything. So we have to figure out something that's going to be a little bit different, but be responsible enough to do our jobs.
0: So let's go to the middle. We, we talked about how your playing days at, at Belair and then a little bit of your coaching. There's a lot of success in the middle, and, and that was Kent State. So keep me honest here, coach. The rumor was that you were being pretty selective because you were determined that you wanted to not only play football, but you wanted to play basketball in college as well. Is that correct?
1: It is. Um, you know, in, in, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to, you know, I had offers to Cincinnati, um, WVU, um, some other Mac schools. I only had one looking on uh, at Tennessee State, which is obviously one double A at that point in time. Um. And there was, a, you know, a couple, was Youngstown State when Coach Trestle was there. Um, Youngstown State was willing to let me play basketball. And then obviously Kent State was as well. Um, but basketball was obviously my first love. And that was a huge reason that I chose Kent at that point in time. Um, and ironically enough, you know, I was a prop my first year. You know, I, you know, I didn't have um, my GPA and my ACT score didn't match up my first year. So I wasn't able to participate with the football team at all. Uh, But me being a considered a walk on in basketball, I was able to participate in some uh, a lot of open gyms my first year as a freshman. So ironically, what ended up happening was I participated in so many open gyms that they actually offered me a scholarship to play basketball. So for me, I call my dad and I'm like, I'm done. Like, you know, I'm not playing football because, again, basketball is my first love. So I tell him, you know, I'm, I'm done. Like, you know, there's no more football, you know, I'm out of here. And my dad, you know, says, Hey, you know, you, 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 you made a commitment. You're going to stick to your commitment and you're going to play, you know, football. And the next year we go into camp and, you know, again, you know, I, it's not that I didn't work hard football when you get to college and a lot of people don't realize like, it is different. And if you're not prepared mentally and physically for that, you can, I mean, just like that, I mean, it's, you're done, right? You're done. So if you're not prepped for that mentally on the grind of that mental, not physically the mental grind of it. And it is literally a job from 6.00 AM until 10, 11 o'clock at night from watching films, lifting all this different stuff. And so we're in camp and I, I call my dad again. I'm like, listen, I went to the basketball coach's office during our break. I'm done. I can't do this. And, you know, again, he made me stick it out and, and I'm glad that he did because, you know, even though that we weren't really successful, um, you know, I had some individual success, but, you know, I would turn away that individual success for more wins. Um, but again, that helped me so much, you know, down the road and, you know, the successes that I had and, and, and even in coaching, you know, um, I attribute a lot of my success to, to those times there.
0: You talked a couple of times about grind and work ethic. I literally cannot imagine you're a three-year starter on, on, on the football field. Um, you're on the bat. You're on the basketball team as well. You're, you're playing significantly on the hard court. I literally cannot imagine playing football. And then you get through a football season where you have those, those pains and those aches that take about a month before they even heal and go away. You don't have that time. Uh, you meet, you jump immediately in the basketball where it comes with its own set of aches and pains, your body must've been a wreck.
1: And it was, it's crazy because, so I finished football season and we go three and eight that year. Um, My first time, because as a freshman, again, I'm a prop. So I have the ability to kind of go home when I want to. My first year away from school, I'm able to, to kind of bounce back and forth a little bit more. Well, my sophomore year, when I leave at the beginning of, you know, August, I'm not home again. So I, I have no opportunity to go home. So Christmas break comes, the basketball team's going to Hawaii. They're playing in the Hawaii Hilo Classic. Obviously, I wasn't fortunate to play in Maui Classic, the Hawaii Hilo Classic. And that was going to be my break. So they were going to Hawaii. That was my opportunity to go home and spend some time at home, kind of let, let my you know hair down a little bit because, again, had a long football season, had been practicing with the basketball team, but I had an opportunity to go home for about a week. Well, then the coaches come to me and say, hey, we want to take you to Hawaii. So now I'm like, I really don't want to go. But, I, you know, I can't tell you no, because I need a break. Like I need some time away. And I always go back and tell people that physically basketball was rougher on my body at college than what football was. Now, I had a couple of bumps and bruises and stuff, through, you know, through my career there. But, but, but basketball was just a physical grind every day in practice. I mean, physical physical grind and, in in practice. And, um, and, you know, when you watch college basketball on TV and stuff like that, like I don't think you understand how physical the actual game is. I mean, it is a physical, and this is back in, I mean, you're talking about 1997, 98. So you're talking about a long time ago, but I mean, it was a physical, you know, time. And, and I think that that year kind of, you know, I started practice my junior year that I ended up just backing off because it's just too much. Ended up being too much.
0: So I'm, I'm putting myself back around that time, you know, and I'm going to go back a little bit to being at Blair when I think of mid nineties, Ohio Valley football, you're, you're one of the first people I think of, but if we, if we back up just a little bit before you and your school uh, you got to watch some guys that were, were pretty dang good. Uh, when you say football and basketball, uh, one of the first people that pops in my mind is, is the late Scotty Coyne. And then, of course, you had uh, Joey Galloway a couple of years before you. Um, those are just two people that pop out in my mind. Then you played uh, with a guy named Ben Taylor who went on to be pretty pretty good, too. Talk to me about what that was like. You know, we said earlier winning culture at Bel uh, I mean, you were literally around these folks. What was that like and, and what kind of motivation did that provide for you?
1: Well, I think, it, you know, Art. when you talk about the winning culture, you know, it was more the competitive culture, you know um i always talk to people about you know back when they had the willing Wreck summer basketball league for the high school and we used to submit two teams in it and when i tell you when we circled that game when we played each other we were out for blood because that's what it was you know what i mean like we were all teammates but like that was the championship that was the Belair championship that meant more you know than anything else because so it was more the competitive culture that was provided every day against each other and that's in practice and that's everything but obviously when we got between those lines and we were on well, on each other's team like that's when it all came together but it's more the competitive culture the, the you know that you know, you're, you're here, you know, at the top of that ladder, but you know, that next guy is that only that next notch down. And, and he's trying to pull your shoes because he wants to overtake you. And that, and that's what we had at Bel Air. I mean, it was year. After, I mean, look at the, you know, after I leave time, Masarelli comes right behind me and you know, Jose Davis is just a, he's a thought in the wind because that is the culture that we had that we were just replacing guys because, the culture and the competitive nature there was just the expectations of it.
0: Yeah, I played at, at West Liberty with with Ty, and tell you how good our quarterback was at West Liberty. Ty was actually our, our backup, and uh, I'll never forget our one of our first practices. I watched Ty; he's a left handed quarterback, and he's rolling out, and I'm not making this up; he's rolling out on the run. And he throws a ball sixty-five yards on the run, <laughs> and
1: I'm, and
0: I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a freshman. It's like the first week, and I'm going, and that's our backup. Holy, <laughs> he, was, yes. he was, he was such a competitor too, and put yes. in, put in, put in the work in the weight room too. He was, oh,
1: yes, he did. Uh, rock yes he solid.
0: Did. As soon as yes. practice ended, he was right in the weight room. That's it. So you've speaking, of, you know, West Liberty, Ty, you recruiting. Let's talk about
2: that a little bit.
0: What was, you've seen the recruiting game at the, at the, as a, as a player. Um, you've seen it uh, at the college level. You've seen it as a coach. You've seen it as a father. So I'm going to ask you a loaded question here. I'm asking. And
1: and, and, and a brother. And a, bro- and a yes, brother. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, it's, I mean, I, I've been a part of it always.
0: So I'm going to ask you a, a loaded question here. If we had the recruiting tools today, when you played, do you think that would have changed the trajectory of where you're going? And how do you think we can better, I guess, leverage those recruiting tools today in the Ohio Valley? Two questions.
1: Um, You know, I think that I was very fortunate on the offers that I had. I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't think that I could have increased my stock any more than it was. So um i think that you know coach magistro and all those guys did all the right things for me um to get me out there and get me looked at again you know i had Jose, i got developed. i
0: got to stop you i call bullshit on that
1: <laughs> uh, no, now listen no, no.
0: you had a you had a great career at kent state so i'm not minimizing that but yeah. it, i'm talking if you had the ability to create a huddle highlight film, because back when you played, for all of our listeners out there, they, they might forget the VHS, VHS tapes yeah. that you <laughs> mailed or somebody drove it up there. So if you had the ability to create a huddle highlight link and get on Twitter and literally drop a DM to a coach down in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Virginia, you're not trying to tell me that you would have had a, a, a maybe. Not to say you wouldn't have went to Kent State because you wanted to play basketball. You know so that right. you were you were that narrowed down where you're going to go. Yeah. But there's no. It's I'm hard pressed to believe that you wouldn't have had a pick of the litter across the
1: country. You know, but the the thing is, is that you know, and I said it earlier, like you know, I had an offer from WVU. I had an offer from Cincinnati as well. So it's not like you know, again, Kent was in the MAC. We weren't a winning program, but you know my offers were still legit and good. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm not, you know, minimizing and saying, you know, maybe a Virginia doesn't get added in at that point in time or whatever. But um, again, I, I don't think that my stock is really that, you know, do we add maybe one or two more offers in there? You know, I don't know, but I don't know what their area of recruiting is at that point in time, which is something we always have to look at as well. You know, when you're throwing that out there, but I look at the, now maybe, I should have had an offer from Pitt possibly, you know, because I was more local to those guys and I never had anything with, you know, with them. But again, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that from, from a national standpoint that it doesn't increase that much. I, I don't.
0: I love how humble you are. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I love how humble you are. If, if you get on Google and you Google your name, very little comes up. You, you don't do a lot of interviews, you don't do a lot of stuff like this. You didn't as a player. You didn't as a coach. Uh, and I, and I, I, I think that that says a lot about you. Um, you've had a brother that uh, went on to the NFL. Um, you've got uh, two boys, one in college. is pretty good at this game, too. You, you kind of keep your, your position on the sidelines. And, and right now I think you're being humble as well, because if I were you, I'd say bullshit, I, I would have been at Miami. I'd have been in Florida. I'd have been at Texas. I'd have been throwing that ball.
1: <laughs> but it's ironic that, you know, we talked about like, you know, that the, back in 1995, what the game was. And, you know, I can remember, you know, looking at, I had drawers full of just letters, you know, which you're getting everything. And at that point in time, it's Nebraska, right? You know, Nebraska is huge at that time. I think Tommy Frazier might've been there at that point in time. Um, so I literally would get like one to two letters a week from Nebraska. And obviously, you know, that got out and, you know, but the, as we know and we learn, you know, letters really aren't anything. Like if your, if you're, you know, name pops up in some type of recruiting database, it gets sent out. And then again, like, you know, this is kind of like the evolution of recruiting now and how much it's changed. You know, and, and as we move forward in this conversation, just to look back then to now, even from myself to my brother to now. Well, I
0: think the I, I, I'm going to talk out both sides of my mouth, because I think in the Ohio Valley, I think we can do a better job of leveraging the recruiting tools. Now, on the other side of my mouth, I'll say that the Ohio Valley has been a huge beneficiary of the recruiting tools because we went from. Uh, you know, after, after you and say Quincy Wilson and Chad Brinker left, um, we went probably 10 years Well, your brother, we went 10 years with having very little, um, very little recruiting coming out of the high Valley. It, it wasn't because of lack of athletes. And I'm not saying we have all these D one gems, but we right. had kids that were capable of playing at, at Robert Morse, uh, yes. Duquesne, uh, Youngstown state. We had in some schools in that we had kids that were capable, but they were so, um, unknown, and yes. we've seen an uptick of Ohio Valley recruits, especially at that one AA level or whatever they call it. Now, a lot of, a lot of local kids are getting at that level because they're getting the visibility now that they never yeah. had before. Yes. So I, I think it's been big, but w- but one thing I think we're behind on, I, I coached out in Cincinnati for a couple of years, at a school called Fairfield. They're in the uh, MAC yes. conference out there, which is a pretty big one. And when you're in that conference, now this is 2011 through 13, I'm there. Um, so everybody knows huddle now, but in 2000 and, yeah. you know, 2010, 11 huddle was new and that Brand conference, on. it was actually mandatory to have huddle. It was mandatory to have huddle. Uh, it was because you had to, that's how you shared your game film with one team to another. There was no driving the VHS state to the right. school, no meeting coaches. You yeah. had to have it for that. And, um, yeah, and then because you had it, we were making um, the head coach, he would assign, I was a running back coach. So what I had to do is I, I was at the end of the game or at the end of the week, I had to make highlight clips of the running backs. The receivers yes. head coach had to make highlight clips, of the receivers. Yes. This is in 2011 and 12. I'm doing this. Yes. I'm doing this. Right. So as, as a position coach, I'm responsible for helping recruit the running backs or helping get them visibility. I don't, I don't see that being done. And maybe this is just my own ignorance because I'm not that connected anymore to the high value. But I don't see that being done. I don't see it as a non-negotiable that you have to have a huddle. And I don't see a lot of uh, head coaches, let alone position and assistant coaches out there um, marketing the kids.
1: And that's kind of the thing. And, it, you know, it, and again, you know, I, I, I'm guilty of this, you know, as a head coach myself, whenever I first started, because, you know, I was so locked in on winning and losing and grinding to make our team better that, you know, I, I, I assured the kids when it came to, because we, you know, we did our local recruit night here at Generations and I made sure that I had all their you know, um, ACT scores, GPA, interests, and all that stuff. But again, like that was such a small window and I really wasn't doing my job as a head coach, but, you know, that is the evolution and understanding, you know, the to position stuff of this. And, and when you talk to a lot of people now, that's really what they're doing is having position coaches break down stuff and getting these things out because that's what it is now. And, and you see all these guys that are camping now and the coaches are taking kids to camp and they're out there marketing their guys and – I think a lot of people don't realize it's not even about marketing your guys. You're marketing your program, right? Because if Brian Gossett gets recruited from St. Clair'sville High School, like that's a marketing tool that's speaking for itself. So now when a younger kid is coming up, man, I want to be like Brian Gossett. So I want to stay in that program. And then possibly that kid may, because I had this talk with a lot of families, um, a lot of dads that I'm close with now is, you know, we've come into a social media world to where everything has to happen now, right? I want success now. And we're not having those kids that want to sit on their hands for two years to only have to play their junior and senior year. So now is, you know, if I can go to, and I'm only using this example because, you know, of where we're at here locally. Um, If I can play it, you know, if I'm a, you know, a sophomore at school A, Um, who is a bigger school and I can move to school B and maybe sacrifice a couple wins, but now everybody makes the playoffs. So I'm still going to get into the playoffs. I'm going to sacrifice a few wins, but I'm going to go to a school that's going to market me more and give me a better opportunity to move on and play college sports. What am I going to choose? I'm going to choose B because my goal and my option is I want to go on and play college football. And if school B is going to give me a better opportunity to do that, then I'm going to go that way. So, you know, I think that, you know, we as, as, as coaches in this area, and I think there's a lot of really good ones that do a good job out there um, that are really marketing their guys and selling their guys and, and promoting them and just plugging away. And that's in all sports.
0: You kind of stepped on the toes of nil a little bit. We've, we've seen a lot of progress in the college game of players getting, um, you know, some more credit, you know, some more yes. credit, uh, especially in terms of revenue and compensation. And this has been something over the last couple of years, i went back and forth on myself personally. Um, and I think at first it was resistance of just hoping the game doesn't change, you know, it just kind of felt weird. It felt funny to, to think a, a college player should get a salary, but, but at the end of the day, I think we're kind of naive to, to think that they weren't anyway, especially at right. those big programs. So yes. now we're just putting some rules behind it. Right. Um, a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, we talked about the state of Ohio made an official announcement around NIL. I don't have it in front of me, but going off memory, I think the official rule was uh, a high school athlete in Ohio is is privileged to five hundred dollars compensation per per academic quarter, per basically per sports season. Um, it didn't say exactly how it could be compensated. Let me take that back. It didn't say what couldn't be compensated. Um, but it gave some examples like a a gift card to a restaurant could be a form of compensation. I thought that that was interesting that Ohio, um, went towards that. I, I think the question I asked Sean that week was, are, are they being proactive, in this. And I think we both agreed that, yeah, Ohio is probably being a little bit proactive in this and saying, hey, because when you look at what happens to the college game, rules uh, usually trickle down to, to the high school game. Yes. Now, going, going to what you said, though, is at least to my knowledge, um, high school, at least in Ohio and West Virginia, doesn't have a transfer portal per se. Uh, no. there's, there's restrictions to what, what school you can go to. Yes. I'm, ag- I'm against that. I, 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 I'm, I'm against that myself. Curious to hear agree. your thoughts. I and Sean, Sean, I want to bring you into this, this yeah. too. Do we see that I changing would, with everything that, you know, you got the transfer portal. Do we see that changing in, in, in the high school level?
1: Um, it, from my opinion, I don't just because it's just, it's such a control thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it, it is, you know, a lot of the rules are, you know, they're gray, you know, because they want you to, to make the jump and then they're going to be the, this, the deciding factor on what they feel is right or what is wrong. So I know from an OSHA, like, I don't see that, you know, that there being a transfer portal, you know, in, in high school sports, just because it's a control thing. I'm against it because, you know, I had a a local coach, Jason Ryan, um, whenever I was, you know, coaching at Belair St. John's and um, he probably gave me the best line that, you know, from a high school coach that, you know, that that I've heard. And he had said, you know, him being at Wheeling central and and being in a high County, obviously there's always that beef of kids, you know, leaving park and going to Catholic central or leaving Catholic central and going to park, you know, so there's two, there's two schools in high County, which is those two schools. And he says, you know, this happens. He says, it's part of it. He says, and what we have to do as coaches is he says, we, we can't go and point fingers at the other program that the kid went to, Or parents or whoever it may be, he says, you know, we need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, what are we not doing to why this kid doesn't want to stay here. And I think at the end of the day, a lot of people don't look at it that way. You know, it's more of, well, we win, they should just fall in line to how we work. And it, it's not, a, you know, it's not a one size fits all type of world that we live in, and we all, you know, can agree on that. You know what I mean? Like, that's just the way that it goes. That's why, like, when you go to college, you know, you have that opportunity. It's no different than, you know, if I have a kid that's that's in in the band, and you know, he's going to, you know, I don't know who maybe has a small band around here, maybe with fifteen people, and I can go play in a band at at or Indian Creek that has almost a hundred people in it or whatever. And I can go and, and be in front of a big crowd on a Friday night. Am I, who, why can't I go and do that? Right. And which I can with no repercussions.
2: I'm in agreement, but,
1: but if I do that in football, now I have to dot all these I's, I got to cross all these Ts because of what I want, what is best for me and my small window of success, right? Because we only have a small window, mm-hmm. a small window. And if I work hard at my craft, whatever that may be, I should have the opportunity to choose where I want to use that craft at.
2: You said- I agree with Jose. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think it's something that you're going to see uh, either OSHA or the, the, the WVSSAC come out and say, yeah, this is cool. And, and again, it, I agree that it, it's a control thing. Um, And we're seeing that more and more in different parts of society, not just the local sports that we're seeing, we're talking about. But I think what you are going to see is you're going to see people start getting more creative in finding ways to do this. Um, Because if you look in Ohio and places like Columbus or in West Virginia, places like West Virginia or West Virginia, places like Charleston, for instance, you see it all the time. Yeah, it's constant. And what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to get administrative people who find the loopholes. And, and I don't know that we're looking for those right now because of the control issue. Nobody wants to lose kids, um, particularly when you're talking about the, the, the Catholic private schools. Yes, because when you lose, lose the kids, you're, you're losing tuition. 100%. And I've got kids who go to Catholic school. And the only way they survive are on tuition and fundraisers. That's it. So you're going to be doing everything you can to get those kids first in your door and to make sure they stay there for four years. But, you know, in Charleston, and West Virginia, it's it's really bad. And it has been for years. You, you see, you know, all the good swimmers. They go to GW, all the good softball players. They go to Hurricane all the good football players. Now, football's kind of the outlier because it it goes in cycles. At one point, you'll see all the good football players go to capital, and then you'll see all the football, good football players go to St. Albans or Hurricane. Mm -hmm. They're finding ways to do it. And I think we are just maybe a little bit behind the time here in in the Ohio Valley. You see it here or there, but it's not an epidemic like it is in some of the bigger cities in
1: Ohio and in West Virginia. You know, and, you know, and I'm sure that it happens everywhere, you know, with um, we live in such a controlled society, as we talked about, and a nitpicking, jealous society, which makes it tough as well, because, you know, so many people are so judgmental on why you're making a move that you feel was better for your family or a business decision. And that's one thing that I always try to talk to my family about is that, you know, you cannot take stuff personal. You know, you have to look at it as as a business decision. Like a lot of people take it personal when at the end of the day, it's gotta be business. You know, when you get personal, you, you get in your feelings about a lot of stuff and it's, it's gotta be business. So, you know, when we talk about loopholes or, you know, whatever, like, you know, there are so many people, you know, I've heard stories of, you know, people like reporting whoever, you know, um, writing letters to the state of Ohio or state of West Virginia on, well, this kid is, is going to school here and they shouldn't be going there. You know, which at the end of the day, like, you know, why are you trying, this kid is trying to do what's best for him and for well, her kid. On, on what they think is best. Because again, it's a crapshoot, right? We don't ever know. It's a crapshoot on what you decide to do. So when you make that move and, it, and it's happened, like, I mean, how many, we can go down the line. You know what I mean? Like I can go back and tell you quarterbacks that have left Bel Air, like, you know, the Liberati kid who was in front of my brother, a year in front of who went to Union Local. Uh, Brant Slawinski, who had a great career at Shady Side, was I think either the same grade as my brother or a year behind. Mm. So who left Bel Air, another one who left Bel Air and went to Side. So, you know, this is, he made a decision that was best for him to help his career. So is there anything wrong with that?
2: No, there isn't. And, and, and there should never be. That's one of the problems that I have with society today is everybody wants to be in everybody else's business. It's it. We all have kids. One of but our main jobs, whether we're talking sports, we're talking academics, we're just talking life in general. One of our main jobs is to put our children in the best possible position to succeed in life, 100%. It's
1: nobody else's business. No, nothing at all. Nothing at all. I mean, you know, we, we look at the Ohio reports for academics um, every year that come out every spring or whatever, and student was one of the top five. So if you're a local student, athlete, and they're, you know, advertising that you can leave the school with an associate's degree, then, you know, that's your choice to go do that. No matter what district that you live in, that is your choice to go do that. And what I have a gripe at is that when students decide to do that, it's not an issue. But if I'm taking advantage of that and I'm a good basketball player, I'm a good football player. Now it's an issue. Now it becomes an issue because everybody has a gripe about it. And again, you know, that's you know, I think that needs to change. No. Again, there has to be limitations like I can't go to you know, this school went for my freshman year, this school, my sophomore year, this school, my junior year. So that is the way that there has to be limitations to this, but I don't think that there should be any rule set that I can't, or my kid can't decide what they think is best for them and where it's going to make them happy.
0: All right. Let me, let me pose this, this uh, statement and then question. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to, after I left the Ohio Valley, I went to Pittsburgh and then I went to Cincinnati and then I found myself down here in South Carolina for work. And growing up in the Ohio Valley, St. Clairsville, we had the when I graduated at the time, it was the largest class of St. Clairsville ever had at 200 kids. You know, our, our school had around 450 kids. And that was big. Mm-hmm. Um, Wheeling Park was massive to me. John Marshall, massive. So th- then I moved to Pittsburgh and, and, you know, most schools have a thousand kids. And then I moved yes. to Cincinnati where I, where I got into coaching and literally everybody we played had, had over, you know, a thousand kids in our school down here in South Carolina. Um, most schools are, are close to 2000 students. Um, and I say all of those for a reason, because when I say Pittsburgh or Cincinnati, you're probably thinking, well, those are, that's cause there's so a big areas. Well, where I coached in, in Cincinnati, it was actually about 45 minutes north, and every school is 1,500 kids. And and down here in South Carolina, it's not very big. It ain't much bigger than West Virginia, um, but still schools have 2,000 kids. Mm-hmm. You, what ha- The difference between here and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and the High Valley is if you drive from Shadyside to Martin's Ferry, that's all one school. You're not going to yes. have a Shadyside, Belair, Bridgeport, and Martin's Ferry. You're going to have one school. Yes. And I, that's that's going to be uncomfortable for people in the high Valley to hear because you don't want to lose that history. But can you imagine the type of program academically? Can you imagine the type of program athletically you would have yeah. if you combined to those schools, we're talking a D two power that would be in the state championship game every year. To me, I mean, that would trade that for a, a local rivalry.
1: And, and let's be honest. You know what I mean? Like, you know, out you know, once every 20 years, if we're lucky, those Belmont County teams that we just talked about will ever have a chance at a regional title, let alone a state title, just because it's just so, it's such a long shot of, because of the area that we're coming from. Because as you just said, like, you know, we're just trying to piece together kids. Now St. Clair's right now, I know they had, I think they, nine through 12, they have like 87 kids, which is just crazy, you know, for a division and 14, but you know, we talk about, you know, Union Local, who's right there, who's, I think, Division 4, Division 5 as well, probably trotting out 35, 40 kids, um, Shadyside, Division 7, Belair Division 5, and, you know, River uh, Division Seventeen, and we can go up and down Route 7 there on that on that river right there to where something is going to have to be done because be one the school. numbers aren't getting, huh? It should be one school. And that's it. I mean, you know, I look at Ferry this year, their roster's like 32 kids. And they graduate twelve seniors. I don't know what their I don't know what their junior high is like, but they have a seventh and eighth grade combined. Like that's not good.
0: Well, and think about like this: if you go to the other side of the river, that same that same length from Shady Side to to martin's ferry and if you go the other side of the river that's wheeling park you're (laughs) going you're going warwood to to east wheeling to elm grove that's one school there's not not elm grove high school warwood High School, bethlehem high school (laughs) it's all one right
1: you know and then you're talking about you know the overall money you know with i mean you have a superintendent for every school district right there's some of them even Some of them even have an assistant, right? So you have a a superintendent, you have an assistant, right? You have a principal, you have an assistant principal, you know, just think about all of that stuff and all of that money that's going through there. And, you know, when, you know, and I get, you know, it's tough cutting away that tradition. I mean, I, I get it, you know. I, I know that uh, they always say in Shady Side, if you want to pass a levy, just tell them they got to uh, they got to consolidate with Bel and they'll pass that levy off of a dime, just like that, you know. So, you know, I mean, but you're right, you know. Gossett, you know, where you know we have all these schools in such a what a three mile radius, three to five mm-hmm. mile radius. I mean, there's, you know, if you talk about ten miles, I mean, we probably have seven schools in ten within ten miles. Jose hit it right
2: on the head. Every single one of them has their own superintendent. I mean, and there's a lot of money there. And, you know, we're talking about the numbers of these programs and the numbers of these schools, folks, it's not getting better. It's only going to get worse. The Ohio Valley is losing population in droves every year to me. You know, people don't want to give up the money, but that situation right there is a big time waste of money that yes. money could be going to a lot better stuff whether well i'm not even talking about sports i'm talking about academics you know facilities yes. you know textbooks
1: uh, science you know, stuff computers stem yeah. schools you know whatever it may be but you know when these i mean you're talking well, superintendents make what i mean 85 anywhere from 85 to one hundred thousand, if not more you know yeah. what i mean in each district i mean i don't even know what the numbers would be but i mean do the math on yeah. How many, I don't even know how many schools are down there when we talk about Belmont County and, you know, we jump into Jefferson County here within, you know, the radius. I mean, that may be something we need to look at, but, you know, that's a lot of money being tied up into one person running a school district in a matter of a mile. I don't (laughs) want to, I don't want to
2: single out any school, but I'm going to a perfect example of this. You look at it is Bellsville. There you go. They got like, they struggle and they have for the last decade their numbers in football are like 12, 15,
1: and they got all brand new facilities. They got a brand new school. Brand new. I I, I can't understand it. Brand new, brand new. It's, 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 it's just amazing. And you're talking about from Bellsville, the closest school is going to be what river and how close, I mean, and and it's, it's not like it's far away. So, you know, you combine them both. And then now you mean, now you have something a little bit more. So instead of river drotting out, 40 kids. Now they can trot out 50 or 60 kids and you have something a little bit better. Right. And maybe that school at Bellsville, cause Rivers just got phenomenal facilities as well. Yeah. You know, so now all of a sudden you even have a bigger and better option for those kids to be at right now, instead of, you know, we're trotting out, you know, 12 kids, you know, and, and that seems for boys and girls. I mean, you know, I'm a basketball official when, you know, their girls teams can barely even have JV games cause they don't have enough girls.
0: Let's put it and on you know, record. It's 2021. A, Will we see any consolidation before 2030? Nine years. Whew. Sean's no. he's nodding his head. No, he's saying no way.
1: It's
2: I mean, I would. For lack of a better term, it's becoming it, while you're seeing, you know, River getting all this stuff, you're seeing Bellsville get all this stuff. It's become an arms race. Yep. These schools know they cannot afford to lose these kids and they're yeah. looking right next door, and they're saying, oh, my God, they've yes. got all this new stuff. Yes. We have to keep up with them. Yes. And so now everybody's getting all new stuff. Bridgeport, Bridgeport's a little bit different situation because they were in a floodplain, and their, their football stadium was devastated. And I'm glad to see right. them get that back. But everybody's getting new stuff. Where's the, where's the money going to come from?
1: Eventually, right. it's going to run out. Yeah, because these guys are all hiring great grant writers. So these guys are getting grants to fund all this facilities upgrades and different things like that you're exactly right because it's a competition right you know it's a huge competition to where as you said because we have to keep kids and what people don't realize and they hate you know because this is always what we're going to get right why are we always talking about athletics you know why are we talking about athletics well we're talking about athletics because that's what fuels a lot of kids whether it's basketball football softball baseball whatever kids are being active right we want kids to be active that is the best way for them to be active so if we can attract the kid because we have a great basketball facility then that's what we need to do if we can attract the kid because we have a great football coach then that's what we need to do you know, we, or a great baseball coach or, you know, pro great baseball program. And we're attracting kids that way. That's what we have to do. Because again, that's how we're generating money, right? We're dre- generating money as a district because we have to attract kids. And as Sean said, it becomes an arm race, right? So everybody's in competition with each other. Everybody's posting on social media, our new fields. I mean, have you seen Edison's new facilities? I mean, at oh, first, from a baseball field to a softball field to are their back to back. I mean, it's unbelievable. You know what I mean? But as it's, it's a race. And you know, I saw people complaining on there that um, they put them in their athletic facilities and not into their school, but not realizing that their school structure was so sound and good that all they had to do was upgrade to stuff in their school instead of building a new school. So now all of a sudden they upgraded their facility, right? New gym, new baseball, softball. Their baseball program has always been phenomenal and steady and stuff like that. So now, now let us we're getting more kids out for our sports and maybe... We can attract a couple kids that want to come here and be a part of it, and that's what it's about,
0: Coach. I'm feeling like we're going to have to bring you back on because there's a I, lot. There's a, there's a lot more. I told you guys about. before we
1: started, man. I, I could go on. We we could ramble on days about this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let's. I, I do think I want to get you back on here if you want to come back on later in the season. Let's uh, let's tie this thing up. We've got a couple good high school games happening this weekend. We're going into the third week of Ohio high school football and the second week of football on the West Virginia side. When we were on here last week, I said, I think we're going to have an upset and it was an unpopular call out. I said, I think we might see Wheeling Park travel across the river, go into hostile territory in St. Clairsville, and, and possibly, dare I say, get it up to get that victory. And sure enough, they did in a hard-fought game. Um, could, could, so far, it looks like it's been game of the year. Uh, Wheeling Park this week is gearing up for another big game. And hats off to Uh, it, We said at the, on, on another episode, every week they're, they're playing somebody very competitive. Uh, has got a game against Wheeling park. If you, if you look on our message boards, uh, people are saying that, yeah, this isn't going to be much of a game for Studentville. They're, they're a pretty solid program. This is going to be nothing more than just a tune up. I'm going to say not so fast. So I don't know if Wheeling park's going to go up go go up there and get the win. Um, but I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say no blowout by Studentville. I think Wheeling park keeps this within a 10 point game. Curious to hear your thoughts on that. And Jose, for um, folks that don't know, Coach Coach knows both these programs pretty well,
1: don't you, Coach? <laughs> yes, I do. Um, you know, in so going back to last week, I didn't know what to expect from Park. Game one, right? Um, St. Clair's always had a game. They already had a game under their belt, and they always had the biggest improvements from game one to game two. Um, so I wasn't sure what to expect, and I know William Park – had been right there. It's been a uh, one possession game every year they played. And now it's been three years in a row. It's been a one possession game. So I wasn't sure what to expect. And they were able to hold on and get a big win and things like that. Um, I still do think that Park is young. I think they're a year away. Um, and Steubenville now is where Park was at. No, Park is at where Steubenville was a year ago. So Stumville is playing all new uh guys that are very um, experienced outside of their quarterback position, which, you know, that's my guy, that's who I train. So, you know, he's ahead of the curve. Um, So he's only the new insertion in there. So for them, they're already, they're ahead of the game. And I think Park is just behind right now. And I just think that you're just going into a different animal right now. Um, I think the only thing that the only way that this game really stays really close is injuries some guys drop off here and there with some bugs or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I think Steubenville is, is head and shoulders right now, better than them right now, just because I just think that year difference um, in experience is the one that will, will set the, the difference in the game. So um, I think, it, it, you know, that Steubenville is just going to lay on them and, and wear on them um, and just, just be a little too physical for them. And, you know, it, it, it'll, it'll be more than a, a 10 point game.
0: So for everyone out there that's not aware, Coach Davis uh, is, is pretty connected to that Studentville program. Um, coach Davis also is a development coach, and correct me if I'm if I'm saying any terms you don't agree with here, Jose. But he's a development coach, uh, works with skill players, specifically quarterbacks. And, and one of his students that he's been working with for the last couple of years is the quarterback at Studentville High School. So there's there's a relationship and a knowledge there.
1: It's since since sixth grade. He's been with me since sixth grade.
0: So it's, it's kind of like you, uh, the quarterback tree in the I know he's not a Davis, but the quarterback tree in the Davis family just keeps growing and growing and well, growing.
1: We, we, we call it the QB room, you know, <laughs> so we, 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 we you know, we always try to say that our QB room is pretty stout. Um, Reese Francis has been a part of, uh, the QB room, um, since he's been in seventh grade as well. Um, who's at shady side, he's the quarterback at shady side. Uh, now he's been a little bit hit or miss the last couple of years because he's an avid baseball player. Um, but you know, we still do workouts and stuff on Sundays right now. And he's right there with us, um, you know, throwing and, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, we, we like to say that we have a, uh, pretty stout QB room.
0: So uh, I, I want to, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this coach. You know, I think back to when I played, played hard every game, obviously. But when you play a game against, say, Belair or Ferry, there's a different level of adrenaline that you have that maybe you didn't have against Buckeye Local or Barnesville. You still go out and you try hard those games, but it's just a different level of emotion. Right. Studentville gets that emotion every week from their opponent, right? Like everybody that plays Studentville has that game circled. So regardless if that game circled on Steubenville, if Studentville has them circled, everybody's going to play Steubenville going up there with that emotion, giving them everything they have. Everybody wants to knock off Big Red. I can't imagine how uh, emotionally and physically taxing that is every single week. Cause we know the Patriots are going to go up there and they got this game circled. This is a big oh, 100%.
1: one. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, and the thing is like, you know, and having a son that played in the program, you know, and, uh, and seeing it up front and, and, and personal and, and seeing other teams coming in, coming in. And, you know, when they, when their bus pulls up, the first thing they're doing is their faces are plastered against the window because they're looking at the fire breathing horse. So at that point in time, because they're looking at that, they're already down 10, nothing, right? Because (laughs) it is just such that intimidating factor of that environment. You know, when you come in, then they, you know, and then I heard somebody tell a story the other day that, you know, because their locker room is down below. Right. So if you're on the opposite sidelines with the visitor sidelines, it's almost like they come up from underneath the ground. Right. So they're coming up the steps and all of a sudden you just see them come out everywhere. So, you know, just that environment. But, you know, if you feed off of that environment and just understand that that is the biggest stage that you're going to play on here locally, and that's the stage that you want to be on, it is a stage to where if you show out, that is a stage to get your name out there that you're you're performing on the biggest stage in this area. That's the stage you want to be on. Those kind of things right there, Jose, are exactly why I –
2: not feel bad, but that concerns me for a young park team going up there. This is going to be a lot of kids first stepping into the big time. And, and which, you know, is the
1: reason, which is the reason I said I think they're a year away from, from that um, because I just think the stage is just going to be a little bit too big for them um, in this game.
0: All right, we'll see what happens. Uh, I've got a lot of respect for that Stunville program. So, so for all the folks up there, uh, in Steubenville, take no offense to this—you're uh, going to get the win. But I'm going on record now to say that Wheeling Park keeps this within a 10-point ball game. Good luck, Patriots. Another game I got—I uh, got circled here. This might not be—this game might not bring a lot of firepower. Uh, but I've got John Marshall against Weir circled here. We were talking about John Marshall last week and our f- top 15 power rankings. They came in at 15. Uh, They got completely blown out this, this past week. And I've got in full disclosure. um, I've got a good friend that coaches on that team. He's probably not going to be happy when he hears this podcast Um, with, with, with all due respect to the, to the kids that are on that team working their butts off. I just can't understand how John Marshall has been rebuilding for eight years since, since coach Goodrich has left there a program that size with those resources, uh, I know we got a first year coach there, but to lose your first game by 50 points, uh, that was disappointing. I've got my eye on this game to see if they rebound. As a coach, you always say that the biggest improvement comes between week one and week two. And I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of improvement John Marshall has. Shauna, you, you grew up in that area, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts. And coach, I'd love to get your take on, on that, just that situation at JM.
1: Sean, you can go first.
2: Well, it's 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 difficult. For one, um, we talked earlier about the the population loss in, in the the valley as a whole. You know, when I just a couple of years ago, John Marshall was like at thirteen hundred kids. They're like at eight hundred now. Wow. And wow. I don't well, Hold say
0: on. That. Folks in Bridgeport wow. are saying, "Give me a, just fifty of those. I'll take fifty. <laughs>
2: It's, it's been, you know, one of the big problems, and this is why Steubenville is so good. Steubenville is connected with the junior high middle school programs. They're all doing the same things. It's yes. never been like that in Marshall County. Yes. Every single, well, at the time, there were, back when I was in, in the school, there were three junior highs. It wasn't even the middle schools in They were called junior highs then. It was Union, Moundsville, and Sherrard. Well, now there's just Moundsville and Sherrard. And first of all, Moundsville is losing kids like crazy. If anybody's good at sports, they go to Sherrard now. I'm not sure what that's about. that's That's just the facts. But your middle school theater programs have to be on the same page as you. You can't. Be lining up and just for instance i'm not saying jam does you you can't be lining up in high school running four and five wide and your middle school program is running the wing t yes
1: yeah
2: it just doesn't that that doesn't compute it doesn't help because then you've got ninth tenth and eleventh graders they're, they're trying to learn their entire high school career something that's completely foreign to them yes and that's been a big concern with people in marshall county for years but nothing has ever happened about it. Yes. I didn't realize so there was I think, a disconnect like that.
1: It's And so I think, you know, as, as I, you know, we compare, you know, and, and again, you know, my trials and tribulations of that and failures as, as a coach that as I was coming up at Bel Air, like I was so locked in on what we had to do as a high school that I just kind of like, you guys go and do what you want, but not realizing like, man, you know, when these kids get here, like we are starting off from scratch from these guys instead of just getting in and then coming to bill as an outsider and watching every day in practice and seeing their program as a whole. And again, you know, I talked about earlier, like you we, we all have to evolve every day, right? We're all learning in whatever craft that we want to learn at just in general and, and seeing how they run their program here from the seventh grade up they all run the same exact stuff, you know, and that's how they teach it. So that is the reason, you know, that they're, they're able just to plug guys in because they're all used to learning and and knowing that stuff as they move along. So as Sean is saying, like, you know, we go back to identity, you know what I mean? Like, so what is their identity? You know, I know when I watched JM on film, like I saw him running spread, I saw him running some bone. So, what is the identity? You know what I mean? Like, you know, are we going to be a finesse spread team? We're trying to get the ball to guys in space, or do we have, you know, um, these big offensive linemen and a gritty fullback with a running an eye formation going to run it right at you. Like there's no identity there to where you you don't know what you're going to get.
0: Yeah. That one's a real head scratcher. I mean, coach Goodrich showed um, that things can be done there that you can win there. You know, in today's, I say, John Marshall has been a successful program before, but I say that you can win there in today's age, today's circumstances, today's situation, um, today's demographics,
1: today's population. Um, He won there. And Coach Goody uh, prided himself on being in the weight room and running the ball and being physical, right? You know, that was their identity. That's what, you know, now if they got into a situation where they had to throw it, you know, they weren't going to be very good at it, but. That wasn't his identity. His identity was we we're going to line up, we we're going to be physical, and we we're going to run the ball right at you.
2: And one of, the, one of the other issues, too, with the, the program is that, unfortunately, after Mike Linsky passed away, it's kind of been a revolving door. Yeah. So you're, you're breaking in a, not only new kids all the time, but you're breaking in a new staff all the time. Yeah. And I'll tell you this. They lost a lot from last year. They, they were a pretty decent football team. Offensively, they lost everything. And their junior class was very small. So they're playing a lot of freshmen and a lot of sophomores right now. I will say this. If they can, if, if they can get that door to stop revolving and Justin Kropka stays there, within three years, he will have them back competing in the playoffs.
0: Uh, Jose, what's that finger for? we
2: will be there one year. All right. Well, for for sake of,
0: of those kids and a good friend of mine who's been an assistant on that team for for the past gosh probably ten years, I hope you're right. Um, every year he tells me that they're a year away. I've been hearing that for about ten years now. <laughs> no, I've got two more games circled
1: here. Curious. Well, be, before before about. we go into that, before let me just say one thing: the biggest mistake that every administration in this area makes when hiring a new coach, the biggest mistake is not having a concrete coaching staff. Hmm. So many times guys get hired and don't have quality guys. You know, I mean, I, it's a hard finding quality assistant coaches. But what ends up happening is you can have the greatest John Gruden X and O guy or Bill Belichick uh, defensive guru, but if he doesn't have guys who are great positional coaches that know how to teach a system, it all goes for naught and i think there are so many programs in this area that lack qual- now again you know i'll, I'll never knock anybody because they you know they're they're donating their time you know for whatever it may be but there's just a lot of staffs out there that just just aren't overall good staffs and you know that's just what my opinion is and you know obviously people will get upset about that but i think administrations when they hire head coaches that that should be the first question that they ask who is on your staff and are they a committed and b? you know, what are they going to be doing now? My next part of that, the administrations that ask that question, they don't know a quality answer. So you can Hmm. tell them whatever you want. So, you know, that, that is that we could talk about that another time, but
0: coach you, 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 you're sounding a lot like an AD right now. (laughs) Maybe we have AD uh, coach Davis in the
1: future. (laughs)
0: I've got two more games here and I'm looking forward to hearing both of your thoughts. I've got Martins Ferry and Union Local circled here. Martins Ferry is trying. They're going to be playing Union Locals one-on-one. Martins Ferry is going to try not to skid to 0-3. When's the last time Martins Ferry's been
1: 0-3? Right? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if ever. Right. That's
0: kind of what I'm thinking too. So, uh, we got Martin's Ferry at Union Local, and and unfortunately, nothing against the Purple Riders. I think they're going to fall to zero and three this week. Uh, as Union Local, the folks there think that they should be two and zero right now. Uh, so right. tough start for Martin's Ferry. Any thoughts there on 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 you know what's happening out in uh, out in Martin's Ferry area?
1: Um, I mean, obviously, I think Coach Thompson out at Union Local. Um, you know, when I had my year stand at. Um, at Weirton I coached against them and, you know, he's got them heading in the right direction. I'm um, local. And obviously it shows um, one thing that I'll give Fairy, I think Ferry has, has played two quality programs, you know, with losing the shady side in week one and losing the Linsley. So with UL being out for the COVID week, um, I don't think you uh, Ferry is as bad as what their own two record is. I, I think that the game will be a lot more competitive than what you think. Um, they're breaking in. They have a freshman quarterback. I mean, you know, you don't get that very often, you know, and that's a tough position to play as a freshman. Like, if I want to line you out up wide um, at a wide receiver position as a freshman, like, you can get away with that, you know, but you can't be a freshman lineman and you have to be freaking special to be a freshman quarterback. You know what I mean? And, and you, you got to be special. And, you know, so they're going they, it seems like they have their bumps and bruises coming along here. Um, but I think that game is going to be a little bit close. I don't think fairies is as bad as what their own two record is um, as well. They're, I think they're stout up front, um, both offense and defensive lines, which I think that that's going to be the difference in the game. If they can tr- control the uh, trenches, I think they can get their first win.
0: So you're calling a Martin's Ferry victory here?
1: I'm calling a Martin's Ferry victory.
0: All right. Look forward to our website tomorrow where actually I think we will probably be uh, probably closer to Thursday where Sean makes his picks for the winners and losers this week. Looking forward to seeing what Sean picks. Last game here, and this is by design. Uh, we're going to go to your alma mater, Coach Davis. We've got a big game of undefeated this week with 2-0 Belair facing 2-0 Harrison Central. Uh, I'm calling the over on this game. I think there's going to be a minimum of 60 points scored in this game between the two. They're going to be lighting up the scoreboard. Two very talented programs. Uh, I'm calling Harrison Central in this game. Would that be an upset?
1: Um, I mean – I'll just tell you, what, I got, I got Belair by 21, 21 plus. Ooh. Yeah.
0: Not even close.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't have the game being close.
0: Do you, do you agree with the uh, over on the 60 points?
1: Uh, No, I don't. I think that uh, I think Belair will shut down um, Harrison on offense. Um, And watching the defense that um, coach Bigarelli plays, um, he kind of plays that three, four, um five six under type of defense that makes you think that everything's got to be 35 yards down the field and what do teams do like they chuck the ball 35 yards down the field like and you know if you ever look at college lists when they post or you know they post the the boxes right down the left side down the middle those are low percentage passes and they're even lower when you get into the high school level um So teams think that they got to keep on just stretching the field and um, and a lot of teams buy into that and they just end up chucking the ball against them as you saw. And I'm not saying that Toronto and Harrison on the same level. I just think that um, when I look back a year ago and what they were able to do to Kobe Mitchell, and then now, you know, who was super underrated as a quarterback in this area, super underrated, thought he was phenomenal. And then now you have a younger kid coming in and he may have some talent around him, but he's not Kobe Mitchell. So I just don't, you know, I look at what Belair returns. I look at what they return, and I, I don't see the game being close at all.
0: Coach, I loved having you on. Um, I, was, I was being absolutely serious when I said we need to get you on again because there's a lot in your career. Uh, as We didn't even get to talk about your professional career, uh, getting to play in uh, CFL and the Arena Football League. We'd love to talk to you about that. I would also like to peel back the onion on what it was like going through um, the experience with your brother and, and even your boys. Um, and then I think it's just as, a, as another part, uh, it would be fun to get you back on just to talk about local, the local teams, the local sports teams, because uh, you yep. got a lot of great knowledge there too. Coach, thanks for joining us. I'm going to, I'm going to try to get you back on before the season's over. Make Definitely. sure I appreciate I- you guys having me. Absolutely. Everybody make sure that you check into our website, www.ovathletics.com this week as we release our new power 15 rankings. And then also later in the week, we'll have an update on Sean's picks for the winners and losers this week. Also want to thank Ohio Valley Nutrition again for sponsoring this episode. Please go see them out in St. Clairsville for all of your supplement needs. Folks, this is Ohio Valley Athletics, the Ohio Valley's number one site for local sports talk.